Hello and welcome to the CRE with Cobalt Banker Commercial Worldwide podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host today. With us today is Dan Spiegel, Managing Director of Cobalt Banker Commercial. Dan's commercial real estate credentials spanning over 30 years are both impressive and well-rounded. Upon completion of his master's in urban planning, Dan jumped into the CRE space and has propelled ever since. Dan lives commercial real estate. He not only runs an iconic brand in his spare time, he is training to be a docent for the prestigious Chicago Architecture Center. Upon leaving an indelible mark at Collier's International, he went on to run Cobalt Banker Commercial Brand from a franchising perspective, as well as the head of the company-owned division. He has already overseen a new mission, vision, and core value launch, which made major strides in the business already. He's here today to kick off the year with the Cobalt Banker Commercial 2021 outlook on the business. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. It's uh, great to be here with you. Absolutely. Could you start by telling us a little about why you thought it was important for your brand to put some rigor behind 2020 learnings and why you're thinking about 2021 differently? Yeah, I mean, it goes without a saying, Christina, that uh, 2020 was a tumultuous year in business, in the economy, in many aspects of our lives, right? And uh, we have to put a lens on it as to what that means for the commercial real estate. Our job as a as advisors, our professionals talk to clients all the time, be it ones that are acquiring or disposing of property. And it's important for them to have some perspective as to where the industry is going, where the business is going, where are the trends coming out. Obviously, every market is unique. Uh, but given that 2020 was just, again, such a such a significant year of change, uh, we thought it was important to document both uh, looking back at 2020 as well as looking forward into 2021. That sounds like a really important way to think about things. How did the outlook get developed? What did you have your team do? What were the beginning questions you started to ask that helped develop into how you were thinking of 2021? Yeah, great question. You know, you know, Cobalt Banker has a dedicated research professional, Jane Thorne Leeson, who worked on this project, the nuts and bolts. Of we try to look at it not just by collecting data from third-party sources, our own transaction information, but talking to our people. Because, you know, the real estate professionals are the ones talking to clients every day. Data is important. Data doesn't lie. I, we completely recognize that. But we really want that perspective from the local market, our customers, the prospective clients as to what they're thinking about and what trends uh, that, you know, their actions will yield trends um, for, for the future. So we did a combination of uh, looking at analytics from the industry available sources, as well as doing uh, interviews with our professionals in all regions of the country, all different types of markets, brokerage professionals that handle different types of property to really get a cross section of sampling to know what's going on in the market. Again, both from a data standpoint, as well as from what the uh, practitioners experience in the marketplace themselves. I love what you said about talking to our people. I think that so often we kind of get bogged down with data, especially for data nerds like us. And it's nice to know what people's perspectives are in their specific markets because it varies so greatly. So that's a really great way to think about it. As I was reading the 2021 outlook, I was thinking to myself, you know, with each specific industry that you examined and that you had a summary for, there were some really great questions that came to mind. And I'm sure a lot of people in the commercial real estate space will feel similarly. If it's okay with you, I'd love to dig into some of the specifics and ask some questions about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every every market, every property type, 
is different, right? So it's really hard to take one trend and apply it across, you know, every market in the in the country or around the globe. You know, there's what I say often in commercial real estate, there's opportunity sort of at every corner, right? You don't want to just broad brush, go across and, and decide that one property type or one type of, of utilization of a property is not doesn't have any potential because what may not have the potential in Northern California may be completely appropriate in South Florida. So yeah, let's dive into each of the different property types and the different spaces and we'll share where we're thinking about 2021. Absolutely. Before I actually jump right in, you said something that that really triggered a question for me that I think would benefit others to hear. When you said opportunity at every corner, that really stuck out to me. So can you talk a little bit about what is different about Cobalt Banker Commercial and what markets they're in to just highlight how you are thinking about all of this? Well, Cobalt Banker Commercial is in every, you know, is the markets across the country and around the globe. Uh, however, our deepest presence tends to be in secondary and tertiary markets. That's not to say we're not in the major markets. And if we are where we are in the major markets, we tend to be in sub markets and specific areas of those markets. Um, so our perspective is really, you know, almost, you know, quote unquote, Main Street, if you will. Uh, now, these aren't necessarily, you know, tiny markets. I mean, a, a secondary or tertiary markets can easily be a million or three million people. It can also be down to 100,000 people. But all these markets represent a segment of the commercial real estate industry and opportunity uh, and a pro- for property types. And it's important you know, for us as a brand to reach into those markets where we have coverage and understand what's going on there and translate that both for meaning locally as well as uh, transnationally. Well, with that, I'd love to dig in to one of the first segments that you highlighted in the 2021 outlook. I'm thinking about the industrial space. For me, I thought it was interesting that the growth in industrial seems to be led by shifts in retail. Do you think that that will be a shift in dollars, you know, just moving, basically moving the cheese? Or do you think that there will be more opportunity for those that can pivot? For users, I mean, in, in a sense today, uh, the retail business is the industrial business. And this isn't new. I mean, I think the pandemic just forced that shift a little bit more into the forefront. You know, omni-channel marketing and just-in-time delivery was already in the marketplace, the retail space you know, prior to the pandemic. And the pandemic, given the the restrictions on gathering and so forth, really drove home the need for well-located quality distribution spaces, not just the large high-cube distribution spaces in key markets like Chicago and Los Angeles and the ports of entry and things like that, but even distribution when it comes down to, uh, you know, the neighborhoods and urban areas, you know, uh, firms started looking closer at how to get their products to market faster because it's all about speed of delivery uh, in the retail space. And that's really what's driven a lot of the industrial uh, activity over the past year. And we'll probably, uh, what we look at it is we'll continue to drive into 2021 as well. You can't look at industrial and just say it's manufacturing. It's not. Distribution is just a huge part of, of the marketplace and what really is active. And in the retail trend into ordering online and delivering that afternoon, hopefully, uh, is really what's driving the demand for industrial. I think all of us know the fast turnaround we expect at this point, and even, you know, not even just for big box retailers, I guess I think of it even for some of the smaller, the smaller um, shops that can, if they can deliver same day, then to me, they win my business. So it's kind of all connected. Thinking about 
retail in that way and how that's shifting. What are, you know, one of the things I read from the Outlook was that, you know, think of examples of non-traditional tenants. And that really stuck out to me. What do you mean by that? Or what are some great examples of some non-traditional tenants? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think that we ponder from commercial real estate perspective, but also from an urban planning and space utilization perspective. You know, um, communities, particularly suburban communities, traditionally, you know, zoned by use, right? So, for example, a retail center, you know, has a certain amount of uh, permitted uses. Yet in today's world, you know, those those sort of barriers or restrictions or limitations are being called into question. So if, for example, in a pandemic era, a what used to be a restaurant, which attracted obviously foot traffic, becomes a ghost kitchen and is now uh, you know a hub of cooking, but perhaps delivery trucks have to come and pick up the food and take them to other people. What does that mean for the retail center? If the vacant retail space that used to you know be a place where one would sell you know I don't know clothes or something like that has now become a medical office center, which drives a different kind of traffic. Is that office space or is that retail space? I mean, the medical office space in particular has really you know the whole medical office. In medical industry has pivoted to get closer to the consumer and to the, the patient. Uh, and they've gone into retail centers because they're convenient, there's parking and so forth. Um, so I guess the, the real question on that retail is what makes a retail center then? If you have a ghost kitchen, a grocery store and a medical office, what is that exactly? Is it a retail center? Is it a mixed use? I mean, for zoning, we don't know. But we do know that allowing for mixed use is really allowing for the prosperity of some retail centers that might have not uh, prospered if they were limited to a certain type of usage. Do you think that some of the allowances that have been made during kind of the COVID crisis, do you think some of those will, will stick or do you think it'll just go back to the way it was? I think they they definitely will stick. Um, I think if if anything it'll stick, it'll just be the flexibility of space, right? It used to be, you know, for those uh, individuals uh, who lived in urban markets or still live in urban markets, you know, you'd have the uh, store on the main floor, the housing above it, and then when you went to suburban spaces, there was a lot more segmentation of usage. You know, housing was over here, retail was over there, industrial was over there. I think we're going to see and, and just be more accepting to that kind of mixed utilization of space. So it could apply to retail. And you see where, where retail centers want to have a lot more traffic. They built uh, multifamily, you know, in, in into the retail center, the you know, to make sure there's that foot traffic as well as the uh, auto traffic. And you could see the same thing for office space, you know, maybe less so for industrial, because that tends to have pretty unique usage based on its you know size and dimension. But I think we're going to see a lot more mixing of space utilization in, in 2021 and going into the future. It'll become less of an issue that you have to be uniquely used for one type of uh, property or property has to be used for a specific type or not another. It's interesting when you said flexibility of space, it's almost like, you know, does art imitate life or life imitate art almost, you know? So in, in the idea of is the flexibility of space born from us all needing to be flexible in our lifestyles or, you know, is it the other way around? Does the, does the space kind of dictate the way we, our lifestyles go? So I think that's an interesting interplay. One of the things that you, that you touched on was the idea of multifamily and how that's, you know, shifting and, and kind of thinking about some trends there. I wanted to ask you a little bit more about multifamily, just pre-COVID, during COVID, and then what you see in the future for 2021. 
Yeah, multifamily, it's interesting because it, it, like all the other property types, there isn't one type of multifamily. You know, you have things like student housing, you have high-end housing in, in large urban centers, and each of those have been impacted a little bit differently in the uh, in the current COVID era. Uh, overall, multifamily as a, an investment class and a property type is doing relatively well. Um, irrespective of what you read about people not being able to pay rent, you know, yes, there are increases in delinquencies from multifamily tenants at the same time, um, you know, it's holding up much better than might have been expected earlier in the pandemic, at least to date. Um, so multifamily, you know, like a lot of residential um, space, you know, space, I should spend housing options has been driving some, uh, you know, a fair segment of the commercial real estate activity in 2020. And we expect that to continue in 2021. So part of that is the whole work from anywhere shift that's gone on um, that's encouraged people People to take larger spaces or different spaces. Um, some of those spaces may be uh, purchased, right, like a house, and some of those spaces may be rented, like an apartment. Um, so multifamily has provided a real blended solution across the country for different types of, to meet different needs for, for people's um, habitat. And, you know, we see that going forward is, is still a strong, uh, again, strong investment class and strong in terms of demand. The one segment of the multifamily that's probably a little bit in question is sort of the high-end urban uh, rentals in you'd find in New York or San Francisco or Chicago, for example, you know, for this, all the reasons of people aren't going to work or one or don't need to be able to be located in a place that's close to work. Um, those properties are probably having a little bit tougher time because of the question of how to use the amenities when you have to social distance. And if your job is working it from home, you don't need to be where you can walk to work. So at least in the near term, those properties are probably a little bit more challenged. But multifamily as a whole, we feel um, positive on for 2021. One thing that I was thinking about, and maybe this kind of touches on some conversations we've had in the past, there was obviously a big trend several years ago with co-working and then even co-living spaces was kind of the new thing that launched. Obviously, in a, you know, with the pandemic, some of that has shifted, you know, the idea of germs and people being germ conscious has really kind of shifted that. But do you think multifamily will be a blended solution for people trying to get that co-living vibe, but without being in a shared apartment? The, you know, the co the idea of co-living is a trend, which is somewhat of an extension of sort of like your college roommate, you know, like basically finding other people to share your space. I mean, it never, it, it didn't get to the point of being a significant part of the market. It certainly was a convenience for, for urban professionals who perhaps located to an urban market where they didn't know anybody and wanted to share costs. Um, and I suppose there's still a need for that, but given the work from anywhere, um, lifestyle that we're embracing at the moment, um, you know, I don't see that really growing into anything more than it has been to date. Furthermore, um, you know, just given the the whole concern about, you know, germs and personal space and things like that, you know, there's probably a preference. I haven't looked at it, um, but there's probably a preference in essentially, you know, renting your own apartment and sharing perhaps the communal space to the extent that's safe uh, and allowable in your particular area, but not taking the risk of sharing the internal space of an apartment with others. So your co-living may come back, you know, if uh, once we get past the uh, pandemic, but at least in the short term, you know, the multifamily demand is there uh, and sharing the common space, particularly if you have outdoor common space is there. But I don't think co-living will be the uh, will be the trend, at least of 2021. 
That makes some good sense. Thinking about co-living obviously has me thinking about the now biggest generation, the millennials. And so um, I wanted to touch a little bit on how maybe the biggest generation that's now really in a buying market, because I think the eldest millennial is just about 40. You know, what does that mean for suburban markets? It's really a good question. It's one that we're all thinking about. Um, So you have a lot of dynamics in play. It's not just the millennials. The millennials are the largest age cohort uh, currently, you know, alive, if you will. They're at that peak buying age and settling age, if you will, where people decide to move out of a condo or an apartment into a house. So that's driving some of the dynamics. And then you put that together with the trend of work from anywhere that was has been driven by the pandemic. And you have a lot of things to think about when it comes to commercial real estate and it comes to both suburban and tertiary markets. So uh, a couple of things. So first of all, there is a demand. There's no doubt. Um, you know, we are a commercial end of a residential business and our, our, our sister brand if you will, Cobalt Banker, residential. And that business is very prosperous, right? For all the reasons one would guess in the the, uh, COVID era, people are looking for home offices. They're looking for space to do homeschooling. They don't have to be as close to their jobs. So they're willing to go further out or maybe locate to a uh, secondary or tertiary market. So it's not just suburban markets. I mean, the millennial plus the COVID pandemic economy is driving a lot of trends, you know, in, in housing choice, which in turn drive trends in commercial real estate. So just as a, just a crazy example, I know one of our, our markets in Northeast Florida, we sold, I think it was a little over 2000 acres to a home developer. You know, not surprising. Florida is a growth state, but the fact that they closed on it now during a pandemic, which typically would show a, you know, have a uh, economic slowdown. Yes, it slowed down, but the demand for housing is there. And on top of it, there, you know, there we're leasing a retail center that would be adjacent or near that large rec, uh, residential development. Why? Because if you're going to put in, you know, a, a large number of homes on 2000 acres, you're still going to need retail space, right? So call that suburban, call that COVID driven. I don't know what you call that. Um, but the trend is there. Uh, I don't know if the trend is there for suburban office. And the theory is that if people are leaving the downtown space, they'll be going to the suburban space. You know, that may be true. At the same time, are they leaving the down space to go work from home? They're going to work from home. They don't need an office, period. Right. It's not just a factor. They need an office close to home. It's whether they need to be in the office at all. Well, that touches on my next question that, that I've been thinking about. And, and you and I obviously have had conversations about my own work from home situation. And it has me thinking, you know, just, yes, there's a trend of people working from home and, you know, the pendulum tends to swing in business. Where do you see that pendulum, you know, swinging as in regards to office space needs and more than just needs in 2021, but d- desires? Are people going to miss it? You know, what, what, how do you think about that part? Well, yeah, this is a question. I don't know. This is more of a society question than it is a commercial real estate question, right? You know, I think many of us have found the convenience of working from home. I love to be able to work out in the morning and, and sort of, quote unquote, be at the office in 20 minutes or something like that, right? You know, where it's, you know, crossing the hallway. There's great convenience to that. I think we're, we're at least in the near term going to a, a flexible work model. Where, you know, which which I'm going to say we weren't already away, you know, it was already accepted in many workplaces anyway, you know, I have to work from Friday, I've got this going on, that was already there, but it's going to become more institutionalized where people accept that some of the workers are not in the office, some of the workers are in the office three days a week. 
maybe there's some that are in five days a week. It all depends on their type of responsibility. So having a flexible office space means that you can potentially have less office space because that same desk could be used by two or three different workers during the week. Uh, the idea of hoteling and hot desking was already in the marketplace prior to this, but it may just accelerate that trend and mean that uh, people will, you know, companies will just take less space overall, whether it's urban or suburban, as I said earlier, I think that's still TBD, right? You know, the, there is a theory that the you know companies will become less centralized and decentralized so that their workplaces can be closer to home. Um, that could be a trend at the same time. Maybe they just don't need the space. Maybe people will be either work from home or work from the office occasionally. And it's not an issue of whether it's downtown or suburban. It's just, you know, how much space do I need to share? That's interesting because I think about almost the way that that interplays with medical offices, right? Where I live in New Jersey, there has been a lot of, you know, mergers and acquisitions. And I think that's true nationally also. And so there was like a centralizing of medical offices and then COVID hit and there's a very clear need to decentralize and have smaller satellites. And I wonder if something similar will end up happening with office space. I think there's a centralizing or or lessening of a need of a physical space for everybody to go to. But I wonder if there'll be more satellite offices in the future when people start missing having space to meet. Yes, there's there's uh, again, I think we're social creatures. People are social animals, if you will. And there's a there is a benefit. There's few people that will say there's not a benefit from being together. There's those incidental conversations that happen in the office, you know, ideation, brainstorming, things like that, that just may happen by the water cooler at lunch. Again, I think companies are just going to be much more flexible about where their workforce is. But I don't see at least you know, and certainly not near term, but maybe even long term, the idea that everyone will have to be in the office in a central location. Uh, obviously, trends change and we'll have to get past the concerns about the pandemic and closeness and things like that. But decentralization, be it to the home or to the suburban location, will definitely be uh, a trend in the next several years. That makes sense. The idea of, you know, office space and just technology or amenities has me thinking a little bit of property management. And so I wanted to ask you a few questions about that. You know, the space lends itself to propel and dabbling with tech or CRE tech specifically. What do you think is the property management of the future or the near future anyways? Listen, I've also been involved in in commercial real estate tech space for a number of years now. You know, looking at all the products that are out there, and I have to, you know, you know, my hats off to the property management space. I mean, compared to the services industry, property management, particularly engineering management, engineering, you know, technology is is somewhat, you know, is far ahead of where the services business is in terms of leveraging technology. Like a lot of things that have come out of this pandemic, you know, which is sort of a largest global experiment we ever could have conducted. People yeah. can adapt to technology. You know, we're doing this on a, a, a Teams call at the moment. You know, we knew it existed 10 months ago, but we weren't doing it daily like we are today. You know, pluses and minuses to that. And the property management space, again, already had led the CRE tech industry, in my mind, to embracing technology, particularly, again, engineering technology, HVAC systems that are automated and things like that. But now it'll lead into other types of technology in terms of communicating with tenants that don't have to be face-to-face, you know, using apps, uh, elevator systems, perhaps that work off voice or work without touch or work from your phone. I mean, technologies that were out there, uh, but there's a reason, you know, in this pandemic era to embrace some of those things to make your building competitive. 
and attractive to those who may have some concern about being in a multi-tenant situation altogether. So property management, I mean, property management is a key part of commercial real estate, right? One, one issue is to buy or lease or move into a building, but the value of that building is maintained by the property manager. Right. That they're the ones that interact with the tenants day to day. They're the ones that make sure the property is clean and safe and secure and sanitized and all those things. So property management is just as important today, if not more so than it was in the pre-COVID era. Yeah, I see that, I think, greatly, especially like thinking about sanitization and stuff. But for for me, what you said made me think about property management is it sounds like you think property management from an innovation perspective kind of leads the way when you think about commercial real estate. Am I am I capturing that accurately? I I think, again, if I'm just comparing simply um, property management tech vis-a-vis real estate brokerage services tech. I think property management tech has has led the way in terms of just, you know, owners and property managers that are willing to embrace technology. You know, to some extent, it it makes sense because some of the technology, things like automating the HVAC uh, system, as an example, or putting in sensors into uh, building equipment that tells you, you know, can predict when that equipment will need servicing maintenance. It doesn't affect people. In other words, it, it affects the workers, obviously, but it doesn't affect the people in the building. So it's not a change of habit you need to, to uh, institute. Um, they can do it. It adds obviously more cost efficiency, more op- uptime operating efficiency. You don't have a situation where the mechanicals go out and inconvenience your tenants. Um, so I think the space has lent itself to embracing some of those tech, some of the technologies that are out there sooner. And the pandemic has just accelerated that trend. Well, thinking of innovation, what are you looking forward to watching the most in the next couple of years? Uh, I think, you know, we talked about it a moment ago is really watching, you know, there's so much debate uh, online and in social media about what's the future of office space. Right. I think from a commercial real estate standpoint, simply you know, seeing how it all plays out. Are we really the social creatures that I think we are, that we really do enjoy and need to be together? How does that manifest itself? I think some other things we didn't talk about, but things like co-working, which, you know, for a while was like, oh no, we can't have that because we're all too close. Okay, great. I understand that. We have concerns. It will be addressed, but co-working represents the ultimate flexible office space, sure. right? You know, so for firms that don't want to go back to, to leasing, you know, 20, 30, 40, 100,000, square feet of office space, they could have 20,000 square feet of office space and then a co-working subscription where their workers could go get that private time away from the kids, away from the pets, away from grandma, whatever it may be, in, in some place that's close to home. So I think we'll see co-working coming out to the suburbs where it hasn't been particularly um, ubiquitous to date. So that's just one trend. I think all the other trends related to you know how we shop, how we live, how we interact will be super interesting. Uh, lifestyle malls and things like that, you know, that have been experiential retail, things that have really been disruptive by the pandemic. It'll be interesting to see how they come back. You know, personally, I think what what we are missing the most will come back in a tidal wave, right? We're missing the contact with the office. We're missing the going out to dinner. We're missing going to the movies. So I think at least when it's safe to do so, we'll see big trends in in those areas. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, what kind of commercial space will be required to accommodate that change at that time. Oh, yeah. I think we're definitely in for our own version of the Roaring Twenties, if I do say so myself. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense to me. and It's interesting. I can't wait to see the trends really play out. And I think this year is going to be really telling. I did want to talk to you a little bit about the context in which, you know, you thought about 2021 in regards to the type of recession the nation went through. And I know you wrote a little bit about that in the outlook. So I wanted to, to hit on that. 
Yeah. So as we look at it, and listen, there's a couple other things that are you know, not talked about, but certainly impact the private investor market where Cobalt Banker Commercial has a deep has a deep market share. You know, low interest rates. Yes, that fuels housing. We know that. Uh, I heard a story recently where, you know, not only is the millennial generation driving the housing demand, which in turn drives you know the demand for raw land for development, which in turn drives demand for retail. Um, but you can, you know, basically because of low interest rates, you can buy, you know, the same three or four hundred thousand dollars will buy a bigger house, right, than it used to, right? But you're paying the same price. Um, but that comes into commercial too. So, you know, there are segments of the commercial market, the CMBS, the uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities market, where there's a lot less flexibility to renegotiate uh, loan terms and things like that. Hospitality, you know, in, in some areas, some segments of retail, like the malls, will still be troubled going into the future. But there are other drivers, such as the low interest rates and the trend towards you know, mobility and drive-through, that are going to you know, propel the uh, real estate economy in 2021. We'll have to see what happens in terms, in the U.S. at least, in terms of fiscal stimulus. You know, there's a lot of factors coming to play. The one thing about an outlook in commercial real estate, or perhaps any economic outlook, it's kind of only good for a, you know a couple months, right? Because there's so many external variables that come into play. Uh, we will be looking at it mid year. Cobalt Banker Commercial will do another deep dive into what's going on in the marketplace and, and see if, you know, not only are we right, but see if those some trends have, that we projected have accelerated or have we gone off in a different direction. So, you know, TBD. Looking forward to that for sure. I think one thing that you wrote about that I just wanted to say out loud for our listeners is just the context of the recession not being a real estate led recession and how that kind of is very different than what we've seen in the in you know recent past. Yeah, that's a great. I mean, it's been been written about, but I think about it all the time and I remind people yeah. that yes, there is a real a real estate repercussion to the current situ economic situation, but this was not led by uh you know the 2008 type recession that was, you know, led by housing and overdevelopment and things like that. It has brought to light the current situation trends that are happening. As I said, certain trends have accelerated in retail, industrial, and so forth. But for example, the whole, you know, the whole pressure and uh, on the, the hospitality industry, it had nothing to do with real estate, right? The real estate's in trouble now because people can't travel like they used to and people can't gather for meetings, but it was not a real estate led issue. It's not an overdevelopment issue in, in many cases, in most cases, I should say. So it's just, you know, this is not a real estate recession. Unfortunately, there's a real estate repercussion to it. Uh, and we're living through that now. But I like to tell, you know, tell people all the time, our, our salespeople, our leaders is, you know, there's opportunity in every market. And it, it, I'm not trying to make light of misfortune of those, you know, have troubled properties and so forth. But, you know, markets have ups and downs and they'll have to reach a new equilibrium. So what is today troubling in the hospitality market, you know, is yet offset to some degree in commercial real estate into the boom in the industrial market. Over time, the industrial will temper down and hospitality be back when we can travel. So it's just so there's a lot of market forces in, in place now going on. And we will see how they uh, manifest themselves in the coming months and years. What an awesome outlook to 2021. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the next iteration halfway through the year to see if some of your thoughts and trends play out. One thing that I wanted to ask you is what is the most important takeaway you want someone that read the outlook or listens to this episode to walk away with? First of all, I, I'd say a couple of things, maybe three. So one is 
be careful of what the headlines say. And I'm not saying the headlines aren't true in any respect. I'm saying, but those, you know, what is true on a national level, the data tell you may not be true on the local level. So just, you know, do your due diligence, talk to the experts, talk to the commercial real estate professionals and, uh, and really understand the particular situation. Two is think about both the short term and the long term. We were talking about the use of office space and so forth. So it's important to think about what that means short run when we're still not commuting by train or in, or uh, gathering in large offices in downtown markets, but also think about what it means long-term. What do we really want to, to experience? What will we experience? And three, I think there's there are opportunity in every marketplace. You know, it's there's geographic diversification. Uh, there's property type diversification. Commercial real estate is sort of an unending cafeteria of property types and markets. And there is no one cookie cutter uh, answer to things that are going on today. So look for opportunity. Maybe it's in self-storage. Maybe it's in manufactured home communities. Maybe it's in uh, you know freestanding retail. There's a lot of things to look at, and there's not an argument to stay away from commercial real estate in any means. There's a there's an argument certainly to dive deep and understand your market and understand the dynamics and make the wisest decision for your investment portfolio. That's great. Can you touch on a little bit of why you think Cobalt Banker Commercial specifically is poised to help deliver on some of those top three? Our model is, uh, we're a, by and large a franchise model. We do have a portion of our business, which is in sort of company-owned stores, so to speak. And because we're a franchise model, we're not a cookie-cutter model. And we really believe that our job is to listen closely to our clients and advise them. We have uh, one of our core values is ownership mentality. In other words, our professionals really look at the uh, commercial real estate situation as if they were in the shoes of the client. Right. Um, Not just as an order taker, but really being their advisor in the situation. So our people are very close to their they're very close to their local markets. They're very close to the trends that are going on, yet they're knowledgeable of the national trends as well. And they're just well positioned to to be that uh, not a confidant, but just be that advisor, be that trusted partner when it comes to making a commercial real estate division. It could be the first acquisition that someone's doing. It could be the 10th. It could be, you know, it could be a business acquisition or a business sale. So many different things to think about. But our people are there to, to work with their clients to deliver the best solutions. That's great, Dan. One last thing I wanted to ask you before we kind of wrapped up is where can people find the 2021 Outlook or what's the best way that they can connect with you and the brand? All right. So there's there's a couple easy ways. You know, obviously there's the CBC Worldwide website, you know, www.cbcworldwide.com. There's a section on thought leadership and markets. And then there they can one can download the uh, commercial real estate Outlook for free, no charge whatsoever, no registration required. So that's one. Uh, obviously, there is the connection with a local Cobalt Banker commercial professional in any of the markets that we serve. Uh, all of our professionals have access to you know things that we've talked about as well as the as the documents. And for myself, social media, LinkedIn for sure. I love the conversations that are going on in LinkedIn and the, especially in the commercial real estate space. I mean, there's a lot of great information out there. And on Twitter, MM Active on Twitter. You know, one of those are the two that I like the most, and I think. Uh, I enjoy it, particularly from a commercial real estate perspective. Lots of super interesting conversations, as well as groups that are meeting up and really sharing. Again, one of the benefits of the pandemic is that we're more comfortable with this virtual connecting and sharing. And you can find communities that do that kind of sharing, both on LinkedIn, well, primarily on LinkedIn, but also on Twitter. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dan. I, just to wrap up, I wanted to kind of recap the top takeaways. One is do your due diligence. Be careful what you read in the headlines, but certainly reach out to a trusted advisor within the commercial real estate space. And obviously, Cobalt Banker Commercial, as you heard from Dan, has a lot of those professionals that you could reach out to. The second big takeaway for me was short-term versus long-term. Obviously, there are short-term needs, but keeping your eye on what could happen in the long-term, just to make sure you stay abreast any changes would be uh, something to keep in mind. And the third and probably my favorite is opportunity in every corner. So the idea of thinking of all of the change as opportunity is a really positive way to kind of deal through change. And I think that Dan highlighted how that can really be done in 2021 and beyond. So we're really excited about this year and to see what everybody's going to take on in their markets. And we can't wait to hear mid-year what the or the revised outlook uh, looks like. So stay tuned, connect on LinkedIn. And if you like this episode, please make sure to like and follow CRE with CBC Worldwide. Thanks.